amazing, isn't it, that God, through the word of truth, through his word of truth, has given us new birth, that we are to accept the word that is planted in us and that we are not only to listen to what it says, but to do what it says. It's an important reminder for us as we come to our text this morning, but let us first pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you are an incredibly good God, that in your mercy, that in your love, you condescend to take on human flesh, to become one of us, that you might redeem us. And we thank you, Lord, that when we come here and we gather in this place, that you promise to meet us here, that you minister to our hearts, and Lord, we need it. We pray, God, that as we think through your word this morning, that you would speak to us and convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be drawn up in our affections for Christ, for what you have done for us through him, that we might seek to love you and obey you and live in faithfulness and purity. Father God, I pray that as I bring your word this morning, may I preach faithfully and clearly. We pray that you are with us now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, our Bible reading this morning, the text that I'll be preaching from is, on, is from the book of James. I know that you guys have done a few, have had a few sermons in James. I almost doubled up with Ross, but I recognize that Ross had already preached it, so we've, I've changed to another text. So we'll be preaching from, I'll be preaching from James chapter three, verses one to 12. Uh, the text should be up on the screen behind me, otherwise you can follow along in your Bibles. James 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I'm just going to play a quick video. I think it should be up there now. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. 
fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. A few hours ago, I discharged my last duty as king and emperor. And now that I have been succeeded by my brother, the Duke of York, my first words must be to declare my allegiance to him. This I do with all my heart. Ach, jede Urlaub für mich lächerlich sein. Der was heißt Urlaub? Ein Urlaub ist immer nur vor meinem Auge ein einziges. Das ist Deutschland. Das ist mein Volk. Das ist seine Zukunft, das ist die Zukunft seiner Kinder. The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. Short minutes of words can affect the lives of millions or of hundreds of millions of people. In just seconds, our words can destroy relationships and things that have taken years to build or even lifetime. It's just like a tree, isn't it? Like an old, beautiful tree. It takes years and years to grow. Nothing can shortcut that process. And yet, in just a few minutes, it can fall. But at least with a tree, it takes some manual labor or some tools, a chainsaw or an axe or something. But to break a fragile marriage or to smash a child's dreams to pieces takes no effort at all, does it? Just a few careless words. Powerful things, words, aren't they? We all know this. I'm not saying anything that, we, that isn't just plainly obvious. James says the tongue makes great boast, and it certainly does have great power. I don't think we think about our words so much like that. Do you think about your words like that? That the things that you say and don't say, that they really matter. It certainly matters where these words come from. That is what James wants us to see. And Jesus says this, he says, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. God needs nothing more than our words. That is how much our words matter. That is how much our words are a reflection of our hearts, that God needs nothing more than them to evaluate your life. So this morning, don't say in your heart, gee, I'm glad my husband's here for this one. Or shivers, you should have heard what she said this morning. I'm glad my teenager is here because, man, that kid says some pretty wild stuff. This is for everyone. See, James doesn't allow any room to wiggle out. He says, we all stumble. We all stumble. We all wish at times we could eat our words, don't you? I wish that sometimes, just as I've spoken them out, I could draw them back in, but we can't. It's funny, actually. One of the things that came to my mind when I was studying this text is the taste of soap. Have any of you guys ever eaten soap? Did any of you ever have a mother that said, if you speak like that again, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap? Well, I had that, and uh, I think I know what palm olive soap tastes like, what dove soap 
tastes like. That there's hope for your teenagers, yeah. I think that's maybe why I buy body wash, actually, and not soap anymore, because I'm, I'm scared of it. But it is right to be concerned with the purity of our speech, isn't it? With the words that we say. James certainly is, and I think we should be. So what should our speech look like? How do we speak well? This sermon is really a sermon that is about those big questions. It is a big questioner. It is not a three-pointer in that sense. James will paint for us many pictures in this text. Let us then come away with a way to think about our speech. That is my hope, really. I'm hoping that if you have specific questions about your own speech, that they'll be answered in this sermon. I'm not going to raise those for you. James will cover a whole array of them. Uh, So I'm hoping that it'll be tailor-made in that sense. But this is not the first time, this text that I read out that James has spoken about the tongue. And we saw that in our Bible reading. James says in 1 chapter 26, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. It's a big claim. There is little wonder then why James will first address teachers. So let us get into our text, James 3, we're going to do 1 and 2. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is, ne- anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So not many of you should become teachers. It's not just pastors here that are addressed. We don't, we don't want anybody to teach who is deceived and has a worthless faith, do we? James is saying that our words are accountable, that they matter. And God does not take kindly to those who lead his little ones astray. So it is important then that those who teach are mature and that maturity is exemplified in that they have control over their speech. Words set the direction for people's lives, don't they? There's all sorts of reasons people become teachers. In America in particular, there's actually a lot of money to be made if you're a good teacher. Some guys get into the pastoral ministry for a career. There are itinerant speakers who become very famous, very wealthy. They develop a very good name in a sense. As men like Ravi Zacharias, we know about those sorts of things. There's other guys that go around that speak. There are YouTube teachers that have hundreds of thousands of followers. And I've seen it when these guys have a need and they put out a call for support. They get support often very quickly. There are all sorts of reasons that people become teachers. Now, I'm not saying that they all shouldn't be teachers. There are certainly some who shouldn't, but there are plenty of reasons why people desire to become teachers. Money, fame, status. And James is not saying that people shouldn't teach or that we don't need teachers. We do. And I dare to say that if you're a mature believer and that you were gifted to teach, you should teach. God has given teachers as a gift for his church. But James reminds us, and especially those who desire to teach, that our words are accountable and they will be weighed. Teachers above all in the church should reflect a maturity of speech. So if you are here and you desire to teach, you desire a good thing. But take the warning seriously, just as I have to. And anyone who gets up here has to. Verse 2 says, We all stumble in many 
ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Notice that James says, we all stumble. He includes himself. Now, this is not limited to speech, but it certainly includes it. We all stumble. A general acknowledgement then that we are all still sinners. We are redeemed, we are saved, but we still continue to stumble. It's sort of the now and the not yet, the tension of the Christian life. And then he says, anyone who is, a ne- who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. This is a little bit more difficult, a text, I think. And actually to understand it, I think we need to, we'll come back to it at the end. But when James says, anyone who is never at fault, actually, he's actually just repeating in the original language, in the original Greek, what he's already says. So he says, he says, we all stumble in many ways. And then he literally says, anyone who does not stumble. The NIV translates it, anyone who is never at fault. And they have their reasons for doing that. But let us press on. It says, in what they say is perfect. Now, the word perfect in chapter one is actually translated mature. I think that's a better translation. Sinless perfection is not something that's attainable in the Christian life. And I don't think James is saying that it is. So James says in chapter one, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. It's the same word. So this text can be rendered, and I think ought to be rendered, that we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who does not stumble in what they say is mature. It doesn't matter a whole lot, but I think it fits the text more. See, it depends depends somewhat on whether you think that James is saying something that is attainable or not. I think that he is, and I think we will see that he is. He is not saying that 10 out of 10 100% sinless speech is attainable. It's not. But that is obvious, and I don't think that James is saying that. We'll come back to it. James finishes the verse off by saying, this person is able to keep their whole body in check. Why does he say that? It's interesting, isn't it? The person who has control over their speech has control over their body. I think James means that if you are able to regulate your speech, it is a sign that your heart is well, and that you are able to lead then your whole self. And on the flip side, you will know that sin is getting the better of your heart when it is manifest in your speech. I think we all know this. I know it. When my speeching becomes harsh, when it wants to cut people down, when I'm speaking from a place of selfish ambition or self-exaltation or whatever it might be, I know then that, whoa, sin is really getting the better of me. Something's wrong here. I need to come back to the cross. I need to come back in repentance and faith. It's an important thing, I think, for us to remember, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that our speech, though, is the marker of those things? We now come to this sort of tyrant of illustrations that James presents us. Apart from Jesus, I think James could be said to be the king of illustrations. Just in these next 10 verses, we have great ships and powerful horses. We have sparks and forest fires. We have talk of hell and taming animals and poisonous tongues and fruit-bearing trees and springs of water. If it's boring, if the text is boring, if it's boring, it's my fault and not the text. Because the text certainly isn't boring. We'll pick up from verse 3. It says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the the pilot wants to go. 
Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's a powerful thing that James is saying. He points out the disproportionate power of the tongue, something so small and yet so powerful. We talked about this, I think, at the beginning of the sermon, but James is making a very simple and clear point here, that the tongue is immensely powerful. It really is. I don't think we take it seriously enough. Tongue is immensely powerful. Just like a rudder can steer something a thousand times its weight and size, so the tongue can steer the course of people's lives, destinies. Just as a small bit can steer an animal as powerful as a horse, the tongue can restrain and guide things much larger than itself. So James will say it makes great boasts, which I think is a way of saying it has a rightful claim to great power. It really, truly does. But these pictures so far, I think, are pretty positive. They have power to steer, power to restrain. James is saying then they have power for great good. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Let us keep going from verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, the tongue in its natural state is a world of sin. It is a fire, James says. It is a world of evil, but why? Why is it that? Why would James say that? I think it is because the tongue is able to manifest our sinful nature unlike any other part of the body, can't it? If I have a sinful heart, my words can be the strongest, most powerful things to reveal that sinful heart. And the sinful nature is that which is hostile towards God. And this is all people in their natural state, isn't it? That is our natural condition, that we are hostile towards God. James says the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. It's hard to read through this, isn't it? It's hard to gloss over it. It's very confronting. It's very harsh. But we must understand that in James, the word of God is that which brings life. Don't you remember? It's the word of God planted within you. It's the word of God that has given you life. It is planted. We are to accept it. We are to do what it says. Every good gift is from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good thing is from God. God's word is pure and peace-loving and full of mercy, brings life. At the start of the book, James says that testing can come from God, but our temptation can't. That comes from within us. So James is saying something similar here. He's saying that if your tongues, if your words bring death and destruction, they are not from God. It is from your sinful nature. Do not give God the credit. Do not make him accountable for that. That is not of God. God doesn't bring those things. You see, there is another place that reflects those things. There is another being who loves death and destruction. And it is hell and the devil. So James is not wrong in drawing 
our destructive words back to their source. Just like the source of every good thing can be traced back to God. The source of evil and destructive words can be traced back to their source as well, which is our sinful nature. And our sinful nature traced back to Satan and hell and everything that is wicked and evil. We see this also, I think, with Peter's words with Christ in Mark 8. When Peter says to Jesus that you shall not suffer, but it was Satan's intentions for Jesus to be a Messiah without a cross. But Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter's intentions are the same as the intentions that Satan has for Christ. And so Jesus traces them back to their source. What do your words reflect? I think it's an important question, isn't it? Are your words quick to tear down? Are they often harsh? Are they filled with envy and selfish ambition? Are your words all about your own kingdom? Are they rarely, do they rarely speak of the goodness and the kindness of God in your life? Do they rarely speak to his love and grace? Are they slow to encourage and to build up? This is confronting for all of us here. It's not just, I'm not pointing the finger. It's for all of us to bear James's words here. Be careful, I think, that the fruit of your sinful nature, be careful then that your words are not the fruit of your sinful nature. For when they are, you do not speak of God. Verse seven says, all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue. What point is there then? Is that what James is saying? James is saying, don't worry about it, can't do it. There's no point in trying. There's no hope. I don't think James is saying that. Once again, I think James is talking about humans in their natural state, apart from God, before they have received new birth through the word of truth. I think James is saying, with man it is impossible This should remind us then of Jesus' words in Matthew 19 when a rich man comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus confronts his idol, says, go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And the man walks away sad. But in that culture, rich people were seen as those who were blessed from God, whose salvation was pretty much secure. So when Jesus says to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples respond appropriately and they go, who then can be saved? If the rich can't get in, none of us can get in. He's talking about salvation. Jesus says this, he says, with man, it isn't possible. It's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. I think James is saying something similar here. He's saying, with man alone, taming the tongue is impossible. But you guys, those who have faith in Christ, you have the word of God planted in you. It has given you life. You are to accept it. Do what it says. I think for us then, it is impossible by ourselves, but it is possible with God. And so in our natural state, apart from God, your tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison and it still has that potential. James is, I think, alluding us back to Genesis now, as he does a few times actually in this text, where Satan in the garden is a snake. He has poison in his mouth too. And the poison are his words. Did God really say? 
his words brought death. Who do our words imitate? Do they imitate the God who brings life or the snake who brings death? Is there going to be life in our mouths, under our lips, or is there going to be poison and death? People in their natural state can do nothing but speak what is not from God because they reject God as the source of goodness. And their words are only ever deceptive, someone who rejects God. Foolishness, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So to reject him, you're not going to speak anything that brings life. And so in our natural state, deception and poison is all we have, away from truth and goodness itself. Sad, isn't it, to think that sin has such a power over people in their natural state people know enough about God to know they don't want him but apart from God that is all people have verse 9 says this it says with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who are made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters this should not be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I think an important question to ask is how does this play out in our lives? How should it play out? James tells us that we are inconsistent, but that we shouldn't be. He doesn't dodge this himself. He says, we. He says, we curse and we praise. So he's not talking about sinless perfection here. But then what does good speech look like? I think it's an important question. What does pure speech look like? I could give you a list of examples, but I think it's better to let James do it. Because throughout the book, he gives us many. James 1 verse 4, he says that our words should be quick to pray seek God for his wisdom we are not to boast in riches with our words but boast in Christ and if we are poor we are not to grumble in our poverty but we are to boast in Christ it means that we are never to say that God is tempting us 1 verse 13 it means that we should be slow to speak not that we shouldn't speak but that we should think about what we say and where it comes from 119 it means that we do not show favoritism with our words, 2 verse 1. It means that we do not boast about things that are evil, 3 verse 14. It means that our speech is to be pure and true and peace-loving and considerate, 3 verse 17. It means that our words are not quarrelsome and slanderous, 4 verse 2. It means that our speech turns sinners from error, and that includes those of us here who fall into sin, 5 verse 19. And there are more. But if we want practical application, then we should learn James because there's plenty of it. But be careful, I think. This is a mistake that I see a lot that I have come to learn in my Christian life. And that is that application, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna sidestep for a second. Application from a sermon, from God's word, is not always directed towards our will. That is, it's not always three ways to live, three rules for life. We make a mistake to think that application is only that. Oh, the, the pastor didn't apply the text because he didn't give me to-do list. 
application is much richer in the scriptures, and that's because application is directed towards all of us, our whole heart. It can be directed towards our mind, telling us what to think and how to think about God, our conscience, how we should feel about what the text is saying, our passions, how this should move us. So a sermon doesn't need to give you three rules for life to be a good sermon. The text doesn't need to give you those things directly. It's much richer than that application. I would say that a sermon should draw you up into affections for Christ. It should help you know God and love Christ. Be driven by those things. Finally, I want us to come back to the question. Is a consistent tongue something we can attain in this life? Well, this is kind of back to verse 2 when James says, those who do not stumble in their speech are mature. Is this something attainable for the Christian life? Or to put it another way, are we able to reach a place of Christian maturity where we can restrain the power of the tongue? Not perfectly, but that it can be the hallmark of our character. I think that we can. James says, 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change. God's word is good and it gives life and we have received this life through this word. I'll say it again, it's important for us to understand. We have access to it. Do you see then what James is saying? It is important, don't miss it. He is saying that our speech as Christians is to be led by this word, the word of truth planted within you and not by the word of man that is marked by sin. It's to be led by the word of God. Now, James has heard this done perfectly, hasn't he? James has heard the perfect words of Christ his whole life. He has heard the words of his half-brother who never spoke one idle word. John 14 says this, Jesus says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then he says this of you and me. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you see? If my word abideth in you, then pray. That's how you show that you are my disciples because it is my word that is abiding in you. You are speaking the word that I have given you that abides in you. That is the mark of the Christian life. You show to be a disciple of Christ because you speak the word of Christ that abides in you. James is saying then that your whole life is bound up with Christ. That his very words are in you. Speak from that place. Now the sermon is called Two Wells. Right? It could be called many things, the hourglass, tongue, whatever. I'm trying to capture one point with this, one clear point. And that is that your tongue functions as kind of the junction point between the outside world and the world of your heart. Okay, it is kind of the valve, it's the plumbing valve, but it's tapped into two different wells, it's tapped into two different water sources. And it should remain shut, your mouth that is, until you figure out which well you're drawing from before you speak. It is then like this, I'm gonna mix metaphors here, it's like the center of the hourglass, you see? Everything has to be filtered through that little narrow middle. 
problem for us is that our words are immensely powerful and they are accountable. And we can draw them from two different reservoirs, from two different springs. And James tells us that this does happen. He says, with the same mouth, we praise God and we curse men. It's going to happen. Your job, though, is to rein your tongue, to restrain it, to not speak until you check where it is coming from. There are times in my life where I've gone to speak and I've gone, man, where's that from? Sometimes I speak and I go, I shouldn't have spoken. And I think as Christians that are maturing in our faith, we have to learn to think about where those words come from before we speak. We need to learn to rein our tongues. James shows us this. I have to prove it, don't I, from the text. There's plenty of places I could go, but James says it here very clearly in 3 verse 14. It's not up on the screen, but I'll read it out. He says this, he says, If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It doesn't come from God. You see what he's saying? If you harbour bitter envy or selfish ambition, don't speak on it. That's not from God. That's from your sinful nature. It's going to bring about destruction of your families, of your friends, of your relationships. It's going to set the whole course of your life on fire. Don't speak from it. That's not from God. Think about where your words come from. It's the great beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That Christ has redeemed us. That though we are sinful, though we are weak, he provides us grace. He gives us grace and love and mercy. He gives us a way to live the Christian life that is empowered. We aren't slaves to sin. We're free. James says, be slow to speak. He's not saying don't speak. Sometimes it would be sin not to speak. He's just saying, check where your words come from. For the mouth is the overflow of the heart. I'll finish with this. When I get to the end of my life, I long to hear some other words. I long to hear the words of my saviour. And I long to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray that he doesn't say, away from me, I never knew you. He will say to some those words. His words will mean everything to me then, everything to us then. Let our words mean everything to him now. Let us pray. Father God, you are an incredibly good God that if we were left in our natural state, all we have is death. We have no hope of anything that is good. We have no hope of salvation. We have no hope of living according to our good design, your good design. We pray, Lord, that as we go on through the week, let us be encouraged that you have given us grace, Lord, that you have given us your word that we can draw from, that we don't have to speak any longer out of the well of our sinful nature, that we can speak from the well of your word that is planted within us. Let us accept this word. Let us be led by it. Let us not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us grow in our knowledge of you and our love and affection for you and what you have done in Christ. For there is no God like you. You are mighty to save. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.